Well, hello. Welcome back to Out of Curiosity. This is our podcast where we're looking for biblical clarity for modern questions. I am Garland. And I'm Nick. And uh, the question that we're going to be looking at today um, is a question that I I actually hear it all the time, um, and it usually manifests something like this. Uh, What do I do when I don't feel close to the Lord. And we, we couch that in all sorts of Christian language, especially in like churches in the South. We say like, uh, I'm in a dry spell mm-hmm. right now, or I'm not on fire, or my walk's been a little dry lately. And all of those are ways, I think, to capture this question. And it's a, it's a question I think comes with a lot of, sometimes some worry and some fear of like, uh, we've been abandoned by the Lord, or where is he? I don't feel him. I don't feel him near me, and maybe I have in the past, and so what do I do with that experience? And so, Nick, why don't you help us make some sense of this one? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it is something that I've walked through many times in my life, and I remember um, I remember being in one of those seasons and walking into Robert Cup's office, somebody who's a, a mentor to both of us, and Robert had this, this wonderful quality um, when he's working, still does, that somehow, no matter how busy he is, when you'd walk into his office, he was always ready to shut everything down and say, take a seat and let's talk no matter what it was. And, uh, I, I went in with this question. I just, I feel dry. I feel like I don't, I'm just not connecting with the Lord. What's, what's wrong. What do I need to do? And he, his answer to me was, well, what makes you think something's wrong? And that, that floored me because obviously, obviously something's wrong. I'm, I'm not feeling God's presence in my life. And, and he said, I think you've made a, um, you have a mistaken assumption that if you aren't experiencing these feelings of God's presence, that something is wrong with your spiritual walk. And he pointed me to the experience that Jesus had um, in, in, we can go to Mark chapter one and take a look at it. Um, in Mark chapter one, uh, Jesus has an incredible experience, uh, you know, keeping with our Christianese, we call these mountaintop experiences, right? like summer camp and really intense worship services and that sort of thing. And um, and so would you read Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 11? Yes, this is the NIV. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn up open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Okay, so... My guess is Jesus was feeling the presence of God in that moment. Right, doesn't get much more epic than that. I mean, this is, if you want to know how God feels about you, this is as explicit as it is. Like, God speaks out loud to Jesus, you're my son, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. That is about as much as anyone could ever dream of having in their walk with God. Right. Now read what happens in verses 12 and 13. At once, the Spirit sent him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Now, this word sent uh, in the NIV, that is a very gentle translation for that verb. <laughs> it is the Greek word ekbalo, which means to cast out. It's the word that's used of what Jesus does to demons, like thrown out. out. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and, and it's, it's intentional. I think the verse 12 begins with at once, immediately. So right out of this, what we call in that kind of Christianese mountaintop experience, immediately after the spirit threw Jesus into the desert to have 40 days of temptation. That seems like a dry, that's a dry, a dry moment. <laughs> like literally he's in a desert. Um, and so I think the things that, that, that Robert pointed out to me was he said, Nick, both the intimate mountaintop experience where God is speaking affirmation over Jesus and the dry spell in the desert 
were sent from God. Both right. of those were of the Lord and had a purpose in what God was doing in preparing Jesus for ministry. Mm-hmm. And he said, so, so don't assume that your, quote, dry spells are indication there's necessarily something wrong. Now, maybe maybe there's some unrepentant sin or things going on, but oftentimes uh, these moments are from God for a purpose. And I think that we can see pretty clearly what that purpose is. Uh, you and I recently have been teaching through a class in the Pentateuch, so we're both. my head is swimming with Genesis and Exodus right now. Yep. And um, there's some pretty incredible things that happen uh, in, in a trajectory of how God works with people in those stories. So beginning in Genesis 12, um, you have this moment where God calls Abraham, and he says, I'm, I'm going to send you to this place, this land I'm going to show you, and in that place I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great. So Genesis 12, 1 to 9 is the story of God calling Abraham, promising him blessing, and leading him into the land. And then, hey, Garland, would you read Genesis 12, 10? Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham had to go down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Okay, so immediately after God promising, when you go to this land, I'm going to bless you, very next sentence there's a severe famine in the land. Obstacle, yeah. I mean, immediately, once he gets to this place that God's leading him, there is an opposite of blessing. There is lack of food, lack of provision. And you can imagine Abraham in his in this moment being like, hey, I thought things were going to be, especially if he's anything like modern people, like, hey, you said this was going to be awesome. Right. Famine, that wasn't in the cards here. Like, no. are you serious? This can't be the experience. And notice we don't, it's not as if, He's got this, in, Yahweh continue to talk to him. He doesn't have a, a Bible hasn't been written no. yet at this point. And so he's just in the, he's out in the, in the land and now he's sent down into Egypt. What's going on here? And there's no indication that Abraham sinned and that this famine was the result of sin. Right. It's not as if this is punishment from God that in Abraham's walk with God, he suddenly experiences absence of blessing. Now, another part of the promise is that Abraham is supposed to have a son and yet his wife is going to continue to be unable to get pregnant for 25 years after that promise. Mm-hmm. What do we do? What is God doing in Abraham's life that he makes a promise of blessing, but then Abraham goes on to experience lack of blessing for 25 years? We have a similar thing happen with Israel after the Exodus. So God comes in, they're under the oppression of slavery. And then he promises, I'm going to redeem you, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take this land filled with milk and honey. And he rescues them out of Egypt by the Passover. And that Passover moment, that seems like it. Like, okay, God's rescued us. And what immediately happens after they leave Egypt? They come to a body of water they can't cross, and Pharaoh's army comes to kill them. And what is Israel's response when they reach that body of water, and they're stuck, and they see the army coming? Fear. Fear. God brought us here to die. Terror. Yeah, this Terror. is... This can't be how God's going to bless us. Yeah, yeah. He, and so, and, and what does God do? He delivers. Delivers them. Very next chapter, what happens? There's no water, mm-hmm. or there's not drinkable water. Did God bring us out here to thirst to death? They start whining. Yeah. They start complaining. God must, but you know, we know what God really did. He brought us here to kill us. And then there's no food. God brought us here to starve. And then there's no water. Again, God brought us here to thirst. When, when God brings Israel to Sinai, after they've gone through all these moments where they keep on thinking, they see the absence of God's blessing, and they panic and think God's abandoned them. In Exodus 19, he brings them to the mountain, and he says, I have carried you on eagle's wings to this place. And one of our professors, James Allman, made this observation. It's been so important to me. He said, think about when a mother bird would carry her young on, his, on her wings. 
um, the birds are born in the nest. And so for their very youngest days, they're in the nest and they just sit there and mama brings food. The mama brings them on eagle's wings when it's time for them to learn to fly. And the way that process happens is mama drops baby bird to their death. <laughs> she flies up high, she tilts and lets them fall. But mama bird, while the baby experiences the sudden absence of mama's presence, mama's actually dropping down below to catch them and bring them up again. And the, this whole process of, oh, I'm safely in mama's wings, oh, I'm dropped, I'm safely in mama's wings, I'm dropped, is all a process that mama's taking them through to teach them to fly. And Dr. Allman suggested that this process of what God's doing here, of blessing and provision, and then the apparent removal of that blessing, is all an exercise in teaching Israel to trust him. You see, if they're constantly experiencing the blessing, there's really not an opportunity to trust. The only way they trust is they have an opportunity to not experience the blessing. I have this experience working out. I need to get in shape. I have not consistently had a workout plan since I was in high school, and I had a coach yelling at me, making me move. And there was playing time on the line. And there was yeah. playing time on the line and pride and ego and glory for high school athletics. And I have thought ever since high school that I could put together a workout plan. I basically just don't want to experience pain. Mm -hmm. So I've imagined that I could go for a run run right to the point that I experience any pain and then stop. And that somehow that pain point would get further each day, that I could get in better shape by stopping every time I feel pain. You and I both know that's not going to work. That doesn't work? It does not. It hasn't I mean, worked so why, far in 15 years. That's why years, I look the way I look. Right? In 15 years, that hasn't worked. The only way to get in better shape is actually to experience some pain and grow through it. Similarly, what it seems like God is doing in the life of his people is he allows them to experience the absence of his presence for them to learn to trust him, to learn to trust that God's word is still good even when I don't experience his presence. Mm -hmm. And so in answer to this question, I think what he's doing in Israel, and I think what we see Jesus be faithful in, is Jesus was faithful to the Lord even when he was in the desert being tempted. When all of the experience and the voice of the Lord calling from heaven is removed, Jesus was faithful. And so what I would say when you don't experience God's presence, when you don't feel close to him, is trust him. And I can't promise that that's going to lift immediately. But what you do is you put yourself in a place to be, to, to be faithful to the Lord, mm -hmm. to continue to seek him to continue in many ways to do the exercises of faithfulness, not out of a mechanical, I have to do this to be a good person, but rather I'm going to continue seeking the Lord. I'm going to continue worshiping. I, I remember um, one of my like big regret moments as a student pastor was I was at a camp one time and a kid asked me, um, he said, Hey, I just don't really feel it tonight. What should I do? Should I just fake it? And my answer was, well, no, don't, don't fake worship. Um, maybe just, just sit there and, and, and pray until, until, you know, you feel more honest and authentic in your worship. And I, I wish I could take that moment back because what I told that kid was that his worship of the Lord was only sincere if it welled up from some kind of emotional experience in him mm -hmm. and that he should not worship God until he felt it. Well, and that's, and that's helpful, I, I think, especially because in thinking about the way that particularly American Christians in our evangelical circles, we have taken all roteness, like uh -huh. all tradition out of worship. 
and out of our you know our experience of God. So these habitual prayers, these habitual things that we do with the church year by year, we removed those. And part of that was because it it felt rote. It didn't feel like there was what we might say heart in it. Yeah. And we've we've wedded ourselves to how our culture views, especially think about love in our culture. We view love, and I think this is why we have such a problem with commitment in our culture. Why there is so much uh, divorce is. We have taught a generation, think about Disney, Mm -hmm. we have essentially taught multiple generations that love is not a commitment, it's not a choice, that means it, that makes it mechanical, that means it's bad. Love is almost a spontaneous thing that happens to you that is deeply felt. Yes. And if you don't have that deep feeling, that's why we say things like, why would I want to stay in a loveless Mm. relationship? Mm -hmm. The the sparks are gone, Uh, the flame's not there. And we have tethered our experience of love to a spontaneous thing that happens to me that I feel deeply. And I think we've actually done that in worship and our experience with God as well, especially in the millennial evangelical kind of the the worship cultures that we have out there. We've made our experience of the Lord a spontaneous thing Mm -hmm. that I deeply feel. And if that's not it, then it doesn't it doesn't count. Right. Uh, and that is so problematic because our feelings will often, they will come, they will go, they mm-hmm. will, they will sometimes be uh, true of what's in front of us and sometimes not true yep. of what's in front of us. They can be very deceptive in that sense. And when we tether our, our experience with the Lord to, well, the last time I had a really great worship moment that was yep. spontaneous and I really felt deeply, I think that's really problematic yep. for us. And and stepping out of that and going to something maybe a little bit more gritty, yeah, we really need to do, I think, as a church. And I think, and I think to that point, uh, intimacy in any relationship is about connecting emotions, but it's not only connecting the good emotions, right? And so, um, you know, if if I measured my marriage, if the only kind of intimacy I was allowed to experience with my wife was joy and delight. That would actually be a really shallow marriage because what that would mean is all of my fear and anxiety and anger and frustration with life, I wouldn't share with her. But actually intimacy is often about bringing that whole range of emotions. And so to that point, like if what I'm experiencing right now is discouragement and a kind of numbness and a kind of flatness in my faith, then intimacy with the Lord probably looks like bringing those things to him mm-hmm. and going and being able to pray that. And there's plenty of that in the scriptures. <laughs> there's right. plenty of people who are going, Lord, where are you? Like, I, I, don't, I don't find you right now. And so I think we have to broaden our understanding of what it looks like to connect with the Lord to certainly include those beautiful moments where things are just rapturous and joyous, but also to include those low moments and say, actually, that can be an act of faithfulness is to connect with the Lord. So, for su- so summing it up, we might say, when I don't quote feel the Lord, we might say, "Well, first of all, are you being obedient to the Lord?" <laughs> like yeah. we yeah. we haven't really gone down that trail, but I don't expect somebody to have a deep connection intimately with the Lord who is walking in just complete rejection of the Lord and unrepentant sin. Sin um, will de- will numb your ability to delight yes. in the Lord, and so we, that's, that has we, we haven't said that. Let's let's yeah. make that clear. Yeah. But then, secondly, it doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong. Yes, um, and so let our circumstances in life be a an opportunity for God to expand our capacity to trust him yes so that when the really hard stuff comes and the really dark days come we have we're a rock we've yes. learned to trust him and so we hope this is helpful in, in answering this question thanks for listening to out of curiosity